Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. There are currently two stories dominating the Hollywood trade papers. The first, centred mostly on the Oscars and the other industry award shows, praises the increasing diversity of films, possibly encouraged by the opportunities offered by the pandemic. With the big bully blockbusters mostly out of the picture, all the more slots in cinemas and on streaming services for something a little more adventurous. I don't like Grandma. Grandma smells like Korea. Yeah. What about Grandma smell? The PR department of the Dream Factory proudly points at the unprecedented list of women and people of colour amongst this year's nominees. Well done, us. But meanwhile, the accounts department is struggling to find a silver lining in the box office figures. Forget about quality, morality or diversity. Who's going to deliver a great big hit to allow us to climb back out of debt? This is our only chance. We have to take it. When the answer to the fate of the Hollywood movie is Godzilla versus Kong, you know someone's in trouble. Last year, there were one or two false dawns, the enormous but impenetrable Tenet, for instance, the disappointing second Wonder Woman, neither of which were enough to lure audiences into cinemas again. All art. Uh, that's just a trash can. It's just a trash can. Yeah, yeah. But for some reason, a big furry ape wrestling a giant rubber dinosaur for hours has succeeded where others failed. And when I say succeeded, I just mean had half a chance of getting its money back. Okay, the numbers are only average, but average is still better than non-existent. We need calm. The world needs him to stop what's coming. And this child, she's the only one he'll communicate with. But despite the glimmerings of hope offered by Godzilla, not a phrase I thought I'd ever find myself using, timidity continues to reign among the major studios. One or two big films, well, big-ish, are about to be launched in cinemas this month, but nothing from Marvel Comics, no sign of the long-delayed James Bond, Hercule Poirot, or the next Jurassic World. We're causing our own extinction. (laughs) We've entered a new era. In fact, by the time we see any of them, they'll have to be billed as golden oldies. This week, the only film of any note reaching the cinemas was the rather desperate Tom and Jerry the movie, which attempts to extend the cartoon shorts of the movie's past into a full-length feature. Uh-huh. 
after a lifetime of being the world's most famous enemies. You can't count on me like one, two, three. I'll Tom and Jerry are about to start over. Because that's what friends are for. The big question being, whose childhood memories are we cashing in on here? Away from the theatres, there are still a few films to be found on Netflix that have been considered worthy of Oscars. The most fun may very well be Love and Monsters, mainly for the Oscar-nominated special effects and the production designed by Kiwi Dan Hanna. Oh, it was awesome. Oh, I feel like Tom Cruise. If you want to see our hero attacked by giant mutant toads, crabs, centipedes and bugs, your search is over. But first, a rather more serious film based on a Man Booker Prize winner, no less, The White Tiger. When you come to India, you'll meet hundreds of millions of servants like me. Driver. Sorry, what's your name? Sir, Malams. Balram, I got it. No worries. Seriously, I got it. The movies have a love-hate relationship with modern award-winning books. What you gain from the obvious name recognition advantage, you can easily lose because literary merit doesn't always translate to the screen. However, when Indian novelist Arvid Adiga's The White Tiger won the Man Booker in 2008, it was snapped up by producer, writer-director Ramin Bahrani. I want to break free. They had plans... I had plans too. I want to break free from your lies. You're so self-satisfied out of me. Bahrani's reputation as a man to watch preceded him. American-Iranian, he's done well at several film festivals and there was big interest in his adaptation of a famous novel. One thing he saw in the project, aside from its timely picture of globalism in India, was that structurally it's one of the most reliable plots there is. In many ways, it's a gangster rags-to-riches fable. Here in India, there are only two kinds of people. Those with big bellies and those with small bellies. Our hero, Balram, is born in an Indian village near the Chinese border. As he says, if he's born to be a servant of someone, he'd better pick his master carefully. Top dogs in the district are a father and son who shake down the villagers for everything they can get. But it's the younger son, Ashok, just returned from the United States, who catches Balram's eye. When I first saw him, I knew then... This was the master for me. I want to be a driver for your son. Hey, how much rope? Don't do that. Balram decides that he'll get a job as Ashok's driver. The fact that he hasn't got a licence yet is a minor detail. Once he gets the job, he sets out to endear himself to the decent, if lightweight, Ashok and Ashok's extremely American wife, Pinky. Hey, driver! I'm Pinky, nice to meet you. Balram, have you ever seen a computer? We had many of them in the village with the goats. The goats are pretty advanced to use computers. Okay, now you're being a jerk. I didn't like the way he had spoken about me. 
Pinky is played by the one big name attached to the White Tiger, Bollywood star Priyanka Chopra, who also executive produced the film. She provides the eyes for a Western audience, wondering why Balram puts up with regular bad treatment. Hasn't he heard of the American dream? What is it that you want to do? I want to serve you and a Sukhsa. No. No, you can't possibly believe that. The point being that in India, the idea of someone breaking out of centuries of racial, religious, caste and class prejudice is all but unheard of. As rare, as Balram says in his narration, as that rarest of beasts, the albino tiger. I would have to become the creature that gets born only once every generation. The white tiger... That's what I call myself these days. But with no white tiger, there'd be no story. Balram is determined to find a way to the top, by hook or by crook. But there's unlikely to be a fairy tale ending. This is no Bollywood slumdog millionaire to be saved by the power of true love. I was trapped. And don't believe for a second there's a million rupee game show you can win to get out of it. You're my driving... In fact, true love almost proves to be his downfall. Not his true love, but that of Ashok and Pinky, who decide to take Balram out for a night on the town. And to make things even more special, they say, we'll take over the driving, you sit in the back. Bad idea, as it turns out. Something goes wrong and suddenly the liberal Western couple are forced to deal with things the traditional Indian way. And that means a combination of bribery, corruption and finding the most convenient scapegoat. Guess who? I, Balram Halwai, I drove the car. I was alone in the car. They made me sign that confession. This is not only the anti-slumdog millionaire, it's also a tough, brutal assessment of what's happening in Asia now. The money comes from China, the labour is mostly outsourced to India. This is the future, and a smart white tiger like Balram just needs to see what's going on. It's the century of the brown man and the yellow man, and God save everybody else. Even with no big names attached, the White Tiger is gripping. And right now is the perfect time for it. It's up for an Academy Award for Best Script. As audiences start asking inconvenient questions about post-colonial shifts in power. The final frame is a wide shot of men from the Indian servant class looking inscrutably straight down the camera. This is the year of films with no easy answers. I'm just one who has woken up while the rest of you are still sleeping. I'm not quite sure how Tom and Jerry passed me by. I knew who they were, of course, a cat and a mouse chasing each other in MGM shorts back in the 40s and 50s. But they never seemed to cross my path, not in the way that their rivals Bugs Bunny or Donald Duck did. Tom and Jerry are about to start over. Cause that's what friends are supposed to do. Oh, yeah. 
in the big city. Tom and Jerry were the creations of animators William Hanna and Joseph Barbera, whose later work I was rather more familiar with, particularly another cat and mouse show. Two mice, in fact. Pixie, a standard mouse, and Dixie, a mouse from the south. Get it? Their major enemy was a method-acting beatnik cat called Mr Jinx. Am I a success or, uh, you know, a failure type? We shall see. Down the hatch! <laughs> Nothing. Tom and Jerry was rather less sophisticated. Cat chases mouse, mouse destroys cat, over and over, which is fine for a six-minute short, but is a challenge for a full-length feature, you'd think. We need a subplot, and drawing the short straw for the second time this year is poor Chloe Grace Moretz. What if I just, I come and be your assistant? Miss Forrester, you started two months ago. It just doesn't work like that. Maybe this job never was for me. Maybe it's not. You know what? I quit. Chloe Grace was in the dog's breakfast that was shadow in the cloud. Here she plays unemployed New Yorker Kayla, who arrives at a swanky hotel looking for a job. She runs into a rather better qualified woman with the same idea. Her name, hilariously, is Linda Perrybottom. I'm here to interview for one of the temporary positions. Looks of the wedding. What wedding? Preterm Ben? <laughs> As in, like, the preterm Ben. New York society's favourite couple. Through a series of amusing misunderstandings, Kayla gets an interview with the hotel manager. At the precise moment, he discovers there's an infestation of rodents. To wit, one mouse. Do you think you're qualified to take on this position? I shine under pressure, like a diamond. Or Rihanna. <laughs> one other thing. We have a mouse problem. With the what now? Well, it's been a while, but finally at least half the title of Tom and Jerry the movie has arrived into the plot. Animated Mouse Jerry is spotted all over the live-action hotel. Kayla volunteers to solve the problem and is immediately hired. But before she rolls her sleeves up, she needs to be given more backstory by Terence, the under-manager. This hotel has been host to four presidents, three popes, two kings, and we're about to host the wedding of the century. Got that? The wedding of the century of two social media superstars. But first, Kayla has to tackle the mouse issue. And obviously the best way to deal with an animated mouse is with an animated cat. Come in, Tom the Cat. We could hire an exterminator. Oh, we can leverage millions of years of predatory evolution. It is refreshing for lovers of old-school cartoons to see two-dimensional non-digital animation, the sort that Hanna-Barbera used to make, on the screen for the first time in years. All the other animals, dogs, pigeons, even elephants, are animated the traditional way. If a picture of this mouse is tweeted out to Instabook Face or Tiki Talk, we will be ruined. No, sir, that's not going to happen. That rodent is toast. The downside is it's still a technique designed for an equally traditional short. And since there's only so much cat versus mouse material that the keenest Tom and Jerry fans can take, the subplots start taking over. I think I might have just pulled this off. Really? We blowing up the whole thing. Everybody in the bouncy house.
The story becomes even more about Kayla's attempt to get permanent employment at the hotel, her potential relationship with the barman, not to mention romantic tips for those wacky, soon-to-be-wed millionaire influencers. Tom and Jerry are in danger of becoming guest stars in their own movie. Why do I see temporary employees socializing on hotel property in the middle of their shift? We were just... Terrence was celebrating, you know? The uh, hotel's mouse problem's taken care of. Oh, yeah, congratulations. Teamwork is dream work, right? Yeah, it's taken care of, right, Tom? Director of Tom and Jerry the Movie is Tim Story, whose background was entirely in live action, mostly live action hip-hop video clips, unsurprisingly. He has to be regularly reminded to crowbar the animated cat and mouse back into the movie, which he does with decreasing enthusiasm. Can I kick it to all the people who can quest like a tribe does? Before this, did you really know what I was? Comprehend to the track force, why? Cause getting mentions on the tip of the vibe was... Now, clearly, I'm not the target audience for Tom and Jerry, ruined permanently for me by the ultra-violent version Itchy and Scratchy and The Simpsons. But judging by the session I went to, I'm not quite sure who that target audience is. There weren't many of them there, is all I'm saying. I might have been more tempted by an updated Mr Jinx, played by someone like Robert Downey Jr., but that's just me. It was one of the most clichéd movie plots even before it happened to us in real life. The dystopian future. Most of humanity is destroyed. The remaining survivors have to then cope with zombies or aliens or monsters of some sort. And the trick is to come up with a twist. And I'm not sure if Netflix's romantic comedy Love and Monsters hasn't done just that. Don't move. Let me see it. Don't move, Amy. Let me see it. OK. Ready? Mm-hmm. I love it. That's super sweet, because it's terrible. <laughs> That's our hero, Joel, cutely sketching his high school sweetheart Amy's picture at the very moment when all hell breaks loose. A disaster occurs, destroying 95% of the population, but rendering the world's creepy crawlies, lizards, frogs, insects and worms, into monstrous killers. Oh, my God. Amy, I love you. I'm gonna come find you. The day of the monster uprising was the day I lost everyone. Joel and Amy are separated, they drive off in opposite directions, lose their families, and seven years later, Joel finds himself in a colony of, luckily, rather more capable people than him. Since he's a liability when it comes to monster hunting, he spends his time on the radio looking for Amy. Only a small fraction of humanity survived to move underground. I've been scanning for Amy the entire time. And now I finally found her. Joel! Hey! Joel! Amy! Is that you? Joel decides to leave the safety of the colony despite being worse than useless in the survival department. For instance, he tends to freeze when he should be firing bullets or arrows at outsized toads, bugs or crabs. But since he's clearly determined, his friends shrug and give him the best advice they can. Don't try and be a hero, obviously. How far away is Amy's colony? 85 miles. It's an impossible journey. Everything will try to kill you. Don't fight. Just run and hide. Ah, uh, okay. 
Off goes Joel while gigantic beasts circle around him. And we can't help noticing that while these creatures are undoubtedly hideous looking, they often seem pretty easy to take out, so long as you don't freeze. On the way, Joel meets a friendly red dog called Boy. You all alone? Me too. You don't have to talk about it. You want to come with me? That red dog looks remarkably Australian, I have to say. The fact that so many Australian and New Zealand actors pop up in supporting roles suggests that Love and Monsters was presumably filmed in Aussie. Star Dylan O'Brien is American, though, as are most of the people he meets along the way. Not the gigantic mutant frog, obviously. Is that a samurai sword? Yeah, it is. That's Clyde, the always welcome Michael Rooker, playing another hard-boiled loner, while Minnow is played by the equally tough cookie, pint-sized Ariana Greenblatt. Ariana is hilarious, strongly reminding me of a young Chloe Grace Moretz in her hit girl days. I'm uh, Clyde, this is Minnow. You're lucky we weren't monsters. You were yelling like a girl. Okay, I don't sound like that. It's, my voice is not that high-pitched. Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. It was higher than mine, and I'm eight. Joel, Boy, the Australian dog, Clyde and Minnow join forces as they travel over treacherous terrain. And Joel learns how to survive under attack from giant pink snails, sand gogglers, enormous centipedes, and whatever else the Oscar-nominated effects team can dream up. Listen to your instincts out here, man. What if I have terrible instincts? You'll die. Super encouraging speech. Love and Monsters is another film that went straight to Netflix, and I'm not sure watching it at home does it any favours. Like its most obvious predecessor, Zombieland, it's far better suited to a large, undemanding audience, all having the same good time. You made it all this way for a girl, huh? You ever hear the term pools there? No! Amy! I miss you so much. We have lost this war. We could still take our world back. You're more of a survivor than I thought. And like Zombieland, it takes off in a few different directions from the obvious monster-hunting one. Love and Monsters may be big and messy, but it's also uncynical and eager to please. If you like films like Shaun of the Dead or Jumanji, as they say on Netflix, you'll probably have an equally good time with this. On the other hand, if you're expecting anything more from a film called Love and Monsters, I have to ask, are you familiar with the term fool's errand? Which brings this show to a close. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.